I, I moved back and uh, it wasn't 48 hours and everything I never thought that I would ever do. I never thought that I would have a, an actual physical affair. How do you forgive when the wound is still open? How do you leave a legacy of redemption instead of dysfunction? How do you trust God when your deepest fears are realized? Join me, Sarah May, along with some wise mentors along the way as we explore these and other messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the ruins. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Okay, everyone, we are back with part two of the series with Serena Woods. All right. So Serena, you have, we've left off where you told us, you know, the bad beginning and how you've come to know Jesus and how that started to change your life. What I want to know now is after you came to know the Lord, you know, you're getting to know Jesus and then you get married. Tell us how you met your husband and the story of how you ended up getting married. Okay, so I met um, I met him, uh, Mark, when I was ten. When I got adopted, his family went to the church that that uh, my adopted family went to, and so he was a year older than me. He was eleven, and um, he was smitten like quickly. (laughs) And, and he stayed that way. It was, it was kind of fun. I wasn't necessarily like taken with him, but as I got, I, you know, my interest turned to like actually being interested in boys and he wasn't, he wasn't really one that I was interested in. And, uh, his family ended up moving away. Um, so we no longer went to school together. And we kind of like lost touch a little bit, but anytime that I would ever, uh, you know, have any contact with him. He, it was always the same. It was always the same Mark. He saw, I liked the way he viewed me. I didn't view myself that way. I liked the way I felt when I was around him. Cause I felt like I was just the, the hottest girl in the room. <laughs> so it made me feel good. So whenever I, uh, left home and ended up getting pregnant and then became a Christian, um, I hadn't talked to Mark in several years. So he had uh, graduated high school and he was, um, you know, embarking on like his adulthood. And I, I remember um, I, I had mentioned that I reconnected with my, my adopted family and I was telling my adopted mom, like, I don't have any friends. I, I don't have anybody. Um, and it's, it just kind of like, it stinks. Um, and she said, well, why don't you get in touch with Mark? He's always been your friend. He's always thought the world of you. And so I did, I reached out to him and he was very happy to, and he already, he had already heard through just the grapevine that I, the situation that I was in. And, um, and so he, he appeared immediately and, um, his, family was awesome. Um, they actually provided a place for me to, to live for a little while. 
Um, it was supposed to be until I had the baby, but that, it, that didn't quite work out that way, but they were just there for me. I went, I ended up going to their church. That's how I had a church to go to. And, and I started thinking like, I don't know what, I don't know what my problem is, like why I wouldn't be interested in somebody who's interested in me, like who, who thinks the world of me. And so I kind of pursued a relationship with him and we were on again, off again. Um, I don't think I have a, a good reason for on again. Just he was there. I knew him since I was 10. Um, he didn't think that I was damaged. Uh, he, he, there was a lot of stuff I didn't have to explain to him, you know, like my childhood or whatever. He already knew everything. Off again, because... When we, you know, in a relationship, um, when you're that age, when you're like upper teens, young twenties, just young adults, um, I think that keeping boundaries, uh, you know, intimate boundaries where they belong, any couple, but specifically a Christian couple, um, he, it wasn't, it, it was hard to keep those boundaries. And my, um, First of all, because my experience with uh, sexuality was not growing up with a kind of uh, mother that I had, not in being a new Christian and not really having, uh, I went from like, what's the big deal to, oh, we don't do this. So it was, and I was a new Christian. So the boundaries weren't very good. Um, so I would break up with him because if we can't maintain these boundaries, then we need to not be together. Um, because my purity, my, um, being clean and being a good person hinged on me doing the right thing, hinged on me, like maintaining that. And, um, and so I would break up with him a lot. And then he, you know, show that he had rededicated his life to God, that he's on board with that. And he's so sorry. So then we'd end up back together and just this cycle. Well, there was this one point where he called me, we were broken up and he, he said that he, um, he was sorry. He couldn't stand to be around me without, you know, if he wanted to marry me. Um, and, uh, and if not, then he was going to go and join the military. Like he was leaving the next day and he was just going to go sign four years of his life away. Well, I said, just go, <laughs> just go sign four years of your life away. I was interested in somebody else. And, um, and I was fine with him not being there. And so he did. And, um, I dated a couple of other people. Uh, and during this time, I think that book, there was some book, uh, that made this whole group of people like not even kiss the person that they're dating. And so I got on board with that. I'm like, that's what I need. Because like, once you start kissing, it's, you know, it's just a train wreck from there. So, um, I, uh, I had made the decision. I'm not even going to kiss the other person unless I know that I'm going to marry them. Because in my mind, I had given too much of myself to the wrong person. You know, in my private life with God, I was just praying you know, for God to just being a single, being a single mom in the church is really difficult because you're not dating is very weird. It's, it's weird when you're Christian in the first place. And it's weird whenever you're a single mom. Um, it, I just felt like nobody was going to want me. Um, and I didn't have a lot of prospects. So I, there wasn't anything telling me that I was wrong. So, um, I, uh, but there was this one guy and he was, 
good looking and he was a good Christian and he was funny and everybody liked him. And it was just exciting to, to be connected with him. And, um, since I had, you know, not, I'm not going to kiss anybody until I'm married. So we never crossed that boundary. And I have to tell you, that was the sweetest relationship because it didn't last. We weren't right for each other, but, um, there was no regret, no, like, oh, like cringy moments after like, I mean, maybe people listening to this right now can identify with just like, oh, like wishing you could take back some of what you gave. There's a line, there's a line from the movie has live Tyler in it. She was like, I wish I didn't close my eyes so tightly when I kissed you. Something like that. Just like wishing that you could get back some of what you gave to the wrong person. So that was where I was. And, um, and so when that relationship ended, no regrets and no cringy moments. And so I recommend to anybody <laughs> do that. Like don't give so much of yourself away so that you can walk away with your head held high. Um, and then there, you know, I ended up, uh, kind of dating somebody else and found out that he had actually had a girlfriend during that time. Like he was kind of dating two people. So I was pretty discouraged. And around this time, um, I, uh, ended up talking to Mark, um, on the phone. I had called, it was Christmas Eve. I was feeling very like just alone because everybody has families and they're all doing things together. And I had spent several Christmases with, um, his family And so I just called his mom and I was talking to her and he was there. And so I talked to him a little bit. And, um, for the first time in a long time, he didn't make me feel like, oh my gosh, we're talking, we're going to be something now. So, um, he was just telling me about his adventures in the military and, um, and it was nice. I was feeling lonely and he, he was just like, he had his own life, his own identity. And that was, that was nice to have no pressure, but to be able to have my friend maybe. And, um, so we ended up talking quite a bit over the next couple of months. And then, so, uh, March hits and he's, he says that he's, there's a coast guard ball coming up and he wanted me to go with him. He had gone last year and he didn't have a date last year and it wasn't any fun and he doesn't want to take anybody he doesn't know. And he asked me if I wanted to go. And so I just started to like tighten up, like, no, like, don't do this. Don't ruin our friendship kind of thing. He said, I promise no pressure. I'm not going to like, it's just for friends. I just, I just want to like treat you. I want to buy you a dress and make you feel like a princess. I, I think you deserve that. And I'm like, gosh, he's so I have never, I had never been to a dance. I had never had a fancy dress. I had never done anything like that. I um, agreed. You know, he was going to fly me out there. He didn't live by himself. He lived with another couple, so that wouldn't be weird. Um, I would just go for the weekend. He'd buy me a dress. We'd go to this to this ball. I'd be treated like a princess. I'd come back home. It's just a fun experience. Well, whenever he sent the tickets... I thought it was going to be for a weekend, but he sent the tickets and there was like, it was. So when I questioned him about it, he was like, Oh no, 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 there it's open-ended. I mean, you can change that. I just, you know, I knew that you had two weeks. I had just graduated from a uh, school and I had like a three week period where I couldn't work because I have to get a license to work and I couldn't, it wouldn't kick in. So I actually had that time available and he knew it. And I think he just took it all up. And, um, for me, it just felt I was just like, oh, why did you do that? And then I'm like, well, I mean, he lives in DC right now. And 
but I can't come by myself. I've got like a little girl. She's, she was, uh, she turned three in February. Uh, so, okay. So I packed up enough clothes for a couple of weeks and I knew that I could, you know, turn around and come home anytime I wanted, but if this is my old friend. It's fun. It'll be an adventure. And, uh, you know, my daughter, she's never been on an airplane before, so it was okay. And he, I went out there and, um, one of the first nights that I was there, um, so he had this couple that he was living with and they offered me a glass of wine. Well, at that point I was 22. I'd never had any, any kind of alcohol, um, other than, you know, when I'm 16 and drinking Jack Daniels at a friend's house, that's, but I'm, I was different. (laughs) I was, I was a different human. (laughs) Um, and so, uh, yeah, like a glass of wine, that's like an adult thing to do. And, um, and yeah, I, I would, I would enjoy a glass of wine. And so they went into the kitchen and they, um, and they brought it out. It was him and his, and his friend, um, the male friend, I can't even remember his name and brought it out and handed it to me. And, um, so I'm just sipping this wine and I had to use the restroom, which was upstairs. And when I was coming down the stairs, I fell and they just, they started laughing at me and, um, I was like out of it. And uh, I didn't, they told me, um, they told me we spiked your drink with vodka. They put vodka in my wine. And I, I, you know, like at that moment, in that time, it's like, uh, really it's your brain is just mush. And I just, and so my next memory was waking up naked in Mark's bed. And I knew, I knew what had happened and I felt horrible. I, cause first of all, I felt horrible because of the hangover, horrible, still groggy, still somewhat like mushy brain and, uh, and horrible. Like, what have I done? Like, what is wrong with me? And I just, I, I just, all of these thoughts just going through my head. Like I thought I was better than this. I thought that I was, I, you know, I had made this commitment to myself. I am not going to kiss anybody until I know that we're getting married. I've given way too much of myself to the wrong people. Like God has promised me that he has somebody for me and I'm going to wait for that person. And I want that person to know that I didn't even kiss somebody else because I was waiting for them. And here I am naked and the whole house is asleep and I am I'm just so disgusted with myself. I think now is a good time to talk to the listeners a little bit about what you and I talked about before I hit record, which is just this idea that you and I and our upbringings, we tend to make things out to be our fault instead of looking sometimes at the fact that somebody else did something to us. So when I first read this story in your book, about your drink being spiked and then you waking up the next day naked, my immediate thought now as an adult who's gone through therapy and grown up a bit, I was like, this is rape. I mean, he raped you. That's what happened. He spiked your drink until you were drunk and then he took advantage of you. And uh, you and I were talking about just how we would never have called it that. You said that you would never even have called it that until later. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, my immediate thought was, what have I, what have I done? It wasn't, it wasn't him. And I don't know, I don't know why this happens, but when someone is taken advantage of when, and I'm just going to say in your case and in my case, and a lot of the cases that 
it's it's a man taking advantage of a of a girl. And I don't know why, but the girl always feels the victim. And so let's take it away from gender. Like the victim always feels more shame than than the criminal, than the one who who perpetrated the the taking advantage of the other person. I I don't know why that is, but it is, especially in cases of um, just sexual abuse or, or I, I don't think, I think some of it has to do with the self-esteem, self-worth. I didn't feel like, um, I felt like my purity was hanging on by a thread um, just by sheer will. Uh, and I had a lot of will. Um, and so, and being taken advantage of is a way easier way of saying uh, what happened rather than rape. Rape comes with so many, it just floods your head with so many pictures, but it is what it is. It's being taking advantage of someone and, and having sex with them whenever they are not at the point where they can make that decision for themselves uh, is rape. So I never thought of it that way. I never blamed, I never blamed him. I blamed myself. As a matter of fact, um, in order to uh, make sure that I didn't have to, in what I thought, and this is not, this is not the way it is. I've learned since then. But at that time, I didn't want to have to start over with God. I was 22. I'd been a Christian for what, 19, 20, 20, just a couple years, three years. And I didn't want to have to start over. Three years is a long time to, be, to get good at something. And so I didn't want to have to start over. And so I ended up marrying him five years. We just eloped. I don't have a, I don't even have a picture of it. I don't, I remember that night uh, we went to Walmart to get like stuff like, uh, or during that five days he was, because he's in the military, uh, when you marry, they, you, the military pays for your apartment and stuff. So we picked out an apartment, but we didn't have anything to put in it. So then after we got married, um, at some lady's house, you know, in front of her fireplace <laughs> and she gave, she gave me a rose and I, you know, it was just a weird, just a very weird, fast, not thought through, thing, but that is what I did. Okay. First of all, nobody else is going to want me. Second of all, why wouldn't I want him? He has, he has thought the world of me, uh, the entire time he's known me. And number three, um, I've made my decision. I, it does it didn't matter to me that I was drunk. It didn't matter to me that I didn't consciously make the decision. My body made the decision for me and I'm not going to fail. That, that was my mindset. Um, I mean, looking back on it, I see the flaws in it, but that is my, that was my mindset. And so I did cry. I like whenever I, I called my adopted mom, uh, to tell her that I wasn't coming home. <laughs> I just cried and I didn't let her know I was crying. So it was just like this sobbing into my hand with like the phone, uh, <laughs> the phone, like where speaker part, uh, pointed away from my face. I didn't, she, I, she just said, Oh, Serena. <laughs> and I just started bawling. Like, what am I going to do? And, uh, so, but you know what? Like I am a, a resilient, 
strong-willed person and I made it work. It was fun living in DC. I got my license uh, to do hair. That's what I, what I do writing or whatever. And, uh, and I started working and, um, he was, Mark was busy enough to, to, I don't know. Like, I think our, our marriage survived all those years cause he was in the military. He was gone enough. And it wasn't, it wasn't awesome. Our relationship was not awesome, but I am actually super easy to please. I don't require much. I was fine. Serena, let me just back up a minute and ask you, could you tell me when, you know, at what point did you realize that what he had done to you was wrong? Um, you know, when you're talking to people and they, they're like, so how did you and your husband meet? Like, what, how did you know that he was the one? Like that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, how did I know he was the one? And I'm thinking like, Oh my gosh. I never, <laughs> I never had that feeling. And then I was like, what, why did we, why did we get married? Oh my gosh. And so as I'm saying it, you know, as I'm telling the story, it's like, you know, the person, <laughs> you think it's going to go one way and it like goes south fast. It's like this realization. That's why I got married because he, tricked me into getting so drunk and then taking advantage of me. I can't say that he intended for that to happen. I mean, there's a reason I set boundaries for myself. It's because I don't have good boundaries. So if you take away my inhibitions, I'm not, I don't have good boundaries. So it's trying to tell someone why I got married, like my love story. I didn't have one. Did you guys ever talk about that, by the way? Did you and your husband ever actually address that night? Did you ever confront him about that? Only at the end. And um, I have to explain a little about uh, confronting him. I had issues with trying to get him to be honest, to own to own something. There's always, there was all, um, like, what? Uh, you know, like, uh he never, he didn't respond. So I never pounded at home. Hmm. Okay. So you got married and it's lonely, but it's working. He's gone a lot and you're getting to know God more. You're growing in your relationship with him. And then something happens just a few years later. Tell us the story. So in 2005, I was living in Northern Minnesota and, um, my husband, Mark was not living with us. He had to live somewhere else, uh, for coast guard reasons. And so ended up going back home to, um, for whatever reason, I would go back home periodically. And so I would go back home and I would always stay with my, cause she had like enough room in her house, uh, for, me and the kids. And she was always happy to happy to have us. And, um, so I, I went back during this visit. I went to my adopted family's house to get my, um, there was a book. Uh, there are two, I have these two books. One of them is an adoption, um, an adoption book. And the other one is a scrapbook that one of my foster moms had started for me whenever I was eight. 
and, um, and had like a lock of my hair in it and just all kinds of like sweet things that she had done for me. And then I tried to keep it up over the years. Well, these two books, um, and letters from my biological mom and, and stuff like that. Um, and I went to my adopted family's house to get them and I was just going to keep them with me from that point on. It's, uh, so I went and I got them. I was going through them. And one evening, um, Anne and her husband, Justin were, uh, we were all sitting around the table and I was just kind of going through some of this stuff. Well, Anne knew most of my story and, um, but, uh, her husband didn't and he was intrigued. He was, he had never, he had no idea that, that, um, my childhood was the way it was. And so, um, we ended up talking about all of that stuff and he was, you know, genuinely interested and, um, and ended up going to bed and, you know, I just shared with Justin, like some of the letters and just some of the stuff. And then, um, and then that was the end of it. Well, whenever I went back home, he, the next day he wrote me an email and he was like, I just want to thank you for sharing all of that stuff with me. Um, I, I mean, I'm part of the hurt, hurt kids club too. Uh, I lost my dad when I was eight and, um, and my mom remarried an abusive man who ended up making life really hard for us too. And I just don't know anybody else who has gone through stuff like that. And it's, so it's just cool to, you know, meet someone who's survived that sort of thing. And, you know, so he's just saying all of this, all of this stuff. I thought that was really nice of him to, to reach out to me. Um, when I say it now, I'm just like red flags everywhere. But back then I had no red flags. He's just my friend's husband. Who's really just being really thoughtful. And, um, and then we just like emailed a little bit back and forth. And then, uh, it, it, about that sort of thing. And then we stopped emailing about like the childhood stuff and we just started sharing about like our days. So here I am, you know, living by myself with like three young kids and, um, and this person is available. <laughs> he's available and he's nice and I know him and he's like, he gets what I'm saying. And so I just started really enjoying talking to him. So we're, you know, and we went from like emailing to texting and we didn't talk about anything like, uh, you know, of much importance, more, more like, um, this is what I've got going on today. And I was auditioning for acting jobs. So he would know about it. And then he would check in with me when he knew I would be done. I just, he was very thoughtful. He like, never left me hanging. So it, it was just a good friend. He was just a good like friend and funny. And, uh, and I remember thinking, um, I, I feel like I need to like start hiding how often he, he gets in touch with me. Like I need to start hiding how happy it makes me to hear from him because I don't want Mark to ever feel like he has anything to worry about because he doesn't like, uh, this, you know, Justin's my friend and, um, and I'm really liking talking to, talking to him, but, um, it doesn't mean anything. And, uh, so I, I definitely started hiding, um, and not that it was hard because Mark wasn't at home, but I was around him enough you have to just sort of like squash stuff a little bit. So, you know, in my super intelligent mind, <laughs> I decided to like 
just separate my friendship with Justin um, from anything else in my life because I'm going to protect my marriage um, from this friendship. I don't want, I don't want, you know, Mark to feel uh, threatened or whatever. Um, but what I ended up doing is protecting my friendship with Justin from my marriage. Um, and then, you know, I would think I shouldn't, I, sh- I shouldn't be talking to him so much. And then I'm like, but it's fine. It's fine. It's not like we're going to do anything. And then we definitely, it definitely got, um, first of all, talking that much to another person's spouse when you're married is not appropriate. So there's, there's step one, but for me, it it didn't feel wrong because I didn't have bad intentions and we were both Christians. So I just, it just, it, it it didn't feel wrong. So that wasn't, that wasn't whatever hiding it from my marriage. Well, I'm doing my marriage a favor. So that, that was number two. Number three, he, he sees me. Like I can't exp- I can't explain it like and I'm I'm jumping back to 2005 and talking in first person. I can't explain this. But he sees me and he gets me and nobody has ever actually like paid that much attention to me to get to know me to so so something was catching something was catching me and I started to uh, as my daughters say, uh, catch feelings, started to catch feelings. And, um, he ended up texting me one time and he said, I have a confession to make. Like if we're going to be talking this much, I have a confession to make. And I said, I'm listening. And this is over text message. And he said, I used to have feelings for you. And I thought back to a time where I noticed him. It was a, a, a flash of noticing him. I think maybe less than an hour of noticing him. And I texted back. And I said, um, I used to too. And then from there, the conversations changed to what if. Like what if, what if, what if. And, um, and then they got a little bit more serious and a little bit more holy cow, what have we done? What have we done to crying? Like, we're never going to be able to talk to each other again. Like now, now it's, there was a point when, uh, so, and I have to say as, (laughs) as crazy and, and, you know, from point A to point, holy cow, what are we going to do? It was like three weeks, but it's three weeks of nonstop talking because I wasn't working. And um, because of his job, he had a lot of free time too. a lot of time on the road, a lot of time, like he was, uh, we had a lot of time and we used all of it. And uh, those phone bills, when somebody went through them, it was ugly. (laughs) But um, there was a point when my husband, Mark, was going to go to an OCS school. He was going to be gone for three months. And um, I could stay where I was, but I didn't have anybody or anything there. And I was homeschooling my kids that year. Actually, I only had one in school. I was homeschooling her that year. I was not tied there. So I could go to Chicago and do some more auditioning there. I could move to Minneapolis, which is where a lot of my acting friends were. Or I could move back home and just kind of like be around my family there and also be around Justin. Not 
not be around Justin so that we can like take our relationship further, but be around Justin because like, he's my best friend right now. Uh, I realize how that sounds, but that is, that is where I was. He, it would just, I kind of, I kind of liked the idea of having that tension of having a secret that of course you're never going to act on. And you'll have to figure that out later. But right now I don't have to figure it out. And right now I like the way it makes During this time too, didn't you get some kind of a, you felt like a warning or something? What was that? Yeah. So I'm still, um, actually it was directly prior to, to talking to Justin because during that time I, I didn't talk to God. Um, I was talking to Justin. (laughs) So, um, uh, but right around this time, like within weeks, uh, I had, I got my, I ran into my verse again in just like my regular devotion time. I ran into my verse again and I ended up emailing my, and I'm like, I just, uh, and I mentioned that I, Luke chapter 22, I think it's verse 31 and 32, um, says the verse says Simon, Simon, it starts out Simon, Simon. But when I read it, um, I can, it's Serena, 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 Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you, Serena, that your faith won't fail. And when you come back, strengthen your brothers. Um, never made sense to me as far as like, oh, this speaks to me. It wasn't like that. It was just like, oh, this is for me. It doesn't speak to me. It doesn't like edify me right now. It doesn't like give me direction. It just, it's just, it's just my verse. That's, and so, uh, and I had been a Christian for nine years at that point. So nine years of reading the Bible and coming across it, it's just, I just always, it it was just always there. So, um, I was, I had emailed a friend, um, and mentioned that, and she got back with me and she's like, I'm really concerned, um, because, Jesus was saying that to Simon before he denied him. And I'm like, I mean, I'm not going to deny Jesus. (laughs) Like I'm, I've been a Christian for nine years at this point. I haven't messed up once. Um, There's nothing even in my life that would even be threatening. Uh, And then, um, so it was right after that, that, that the, the conversations and, um, relationship with Justin started. So, uh, and I didn't think about that verse at all because I mean, it was already such a part of, and you know, it's not like this fresh thing. It's just this. Oh. So, um, so I, I had the option to go somewhere for three months. Um, and so I chose to go back home. I got a summer rental, uh, an apartment complex that, you know, rents, lets you rent for three months at a time. So I moved in there. And, um, whenever Justin, whenever I told Justin that I was coming back there, he was like, okay, sometime this summer, maybe like around my birthday, cause his birthday is in August. So we're, we're having this conversation in May sometime this summer, May you, we're going to have a hug, like a real hug, one that acknowledges everything that we know now. And that is going to be the one acknowledgement that we actually of what is going on and, and what is going on in, in some alternate universe, in some different life, we, 
we would be together. And, um, and just knowing that, like, just knowing that was enough for me. Like I just to know that I was loved, you know, I, I moved back and, uh, it wasn't 48 hours and everything I never thought that I would ever do. I never thought that I would have a, an actual physical affair. I thought I had the, a steel will. I thought that I could like withstand myself, my own weaknesses. And I, I didn't, we made in, in, there was no drinking involved. (laughs) It was a conscious decision to be together. How long did you carry on the physical affair before you got, and did you get caught or did you confess? No, we, we got caught, but, um, I do have to say, so to answer your question, how long it was three, three weeks was long enough for me to be like, I can't do this. Like I can't do this. And I don't know how to not love him. I don't know how to, to, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Like it, it was all just this like distant a thing before. And now it's like something that I have to deal with. And so I remember just, this is the first time I talked to God in six weeks. Now, um, I got on my face, like on my knees and put my face in the carpet and the, on rare occasions throughout my relationship with God, I would like put, make myself uncomfortable <laughs> putting my face wherever I was. And I just said, my exact words were, God, please help me. I love him. And what I was really wanting from God was to make me see something in him that turns me off, like just shuts it off. Make, um, make me not love him. Just take it within 24 hours of me saying that prayer. Uh, we were caught and, and the way we were caught that the way we were caught was he was leaving, um, to go deep sea fishing in Alaska with his friend, um, another one of the band members. And he knew that our, um, timing, like our time zones would be off and that he would be really busy and wouldn't be able to talk to me anytime he wanted to. So he wanted me to leave a message for him on his voicemail so that he could just listen to it anytime he wanted to. So my voicemail was something like this. Hey, here's my voice. Have fun fishing. I love you. That was it. And so on the way home, his friend was messing around with his phone and ended up listening to the voicemail and asked him if there was something going on. And we were so stupid, (laughs) so stupid at the time. But it's like, yes, something's going on kind of submitting himself to his friend. Like I, ha- I love her. He, his friend was like, do you love her? And he said, I love her. He said, are you going to leave your wife? Are you going to leave Anne? Um, and he said, I don't know. And he said, can you cut it off with her? And he goes, I can't. And he goes, well, you need to tell her, you need to tell her tonight or I'm telling her. And so he told, okay. So let's talk about what happens after you get caught, after he tells his wife, what happened after everything went down? What is the fallout? 
So um, he was able to get word to me. Um, he, he was able to come by my apartment before he told Ann. So he just wanted to warn me. He said that the, the other band member, he said he knows, and I have to tell her, and I'm scared. And I said, okay. And that was it. So I knew, I knew that something was going down. So I didn't hear from him until the next day um, where he and uh, the band member, I need to give him a name. I'm going to call him Tom. <laughs> Tom. Um, so, so Ann and Tom were with, were with Justin and they uh, contacted uh, a guy that used to be the band pastor. Um, he, he was living, I think, probably in D.C. at the time, and um, he's just a wise guy who uh, they trusted to kind of help counsel them. And so they contacted him, and this guy said, okay, affairs, statistically, they're not real. They feel real, but they're not. Um, if you can keep him from being in touch with her for you know, 48 hours, um, he will be able to think more clearly and be able to make better decisions. Um, so find a way to make sure that they don't have any contact with each other. And um, here are some books that he can be reading. And just don't tell anybody what's going on because he needs to be able to, you know, like recover from this and get back to his life. Um, the band member, he's a, he's a pretty strong character. He immediately fired Justin. So the, the counselor was like, listen, I understand if you don't want him to be, to be the, the drummer anymore, but, um, and I can, I'll be able to find a job for him. It'll be great. It'll be fine. He's going to be fine, but you need to, you need to kind of put him on lockdown for, uh, 48 hours. And so they asked Justin if he agreed to that. And he did, you know, in his words, uh, what he had done was big enough. And the way he was feeling was strong enough where he was willing to do whatever they asked him to do, because if it wasn't real, he needs to know. So he agreed to that. And, um, so he was on lockdown. He wasn't, he, no computers, uh, no contact with the outside world. The only people that he could be around were, um, Tom and Ann. And, um, so when Ann would go to work during the day, Tom would come over, um, and Tom and his wife during that time were house hunting. So they would put Justin in the back seat and take him house hunting with them. So he really lived like, and if he went to the bathroom, uh, if he was in there for too long, they would be knocking on the door. Cause basically you can't have this free time to just think about her and, you know, you can't, you can't be doing that. So and Anne was willing to stay with him and forgive him, right? Absolutely. Yeah. She saw this as, I think, you know, she felt that something was off. Um, and she saw this as an opportunity to, for this, for their relationship to be better. Like they, it would be hard and it would be, but she was definitely willing to continue a relationship with him. You know, whenever your uh, secret world collides with your um, with your real world, uh, it's kind of shocking because, like, they don't mix. There's no place in life to have. I, there's a scripture verse. It's in Jeremiah, um, and it talks about whenever a man. Um, when, when something like this happens, it, it kind of like makes the earthquake. And I think that that's what we were all feeling, just the earthquaking. So me on my end, I, 
worried about him, but um, I was ready to move forward. I'm not going to go back. I couldn't see myself going back with uh, my husband because I knew what love was at that point. I knew what it felt to be loved, and I would feel um, sad and hollow to be in a relationship where that wasn't the case. And so I figured I would just find somewhere. Justin, they would ask him, they asked him at the end of the 48 hours or whatever, um, if, uh, if he still felt the, felt the same and he did. And so the 48 hours, uh, went longer. So, and as, as the days are going by, he actually found a way to contact me. There was a phone that Anne had forgotten about in an attic and he, when she would leave, he had about a 15 minute window where um, he could get in touch with me. So when she would leave, he would call and just say, I'm fine. This is what's going on. Are you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And I'm like, I need to let you go. And he was like, don't let me, don't let me go yet. I don't just let me just give me some time. I, I don't know what's going on. I just need to, I just need a minute. And I said, okay. And so, um, and then like the week, you know, the 48 hours, it turned into a week and then the week turned into two weeks and then three weeks. And during this time he was allowed like a 10 minute walk by himself. He would take that 10 minute walk and he would run to a payphone and call me and just say, I don't have any time, but I'm, I'm okay. Are you okay? And I'm like, yes, I'm okay. And, um, he's like, okay, uh, I need to figure something out. Can you like, can you find, can you find, uh, somewhere for me to go? I need to get away. I can't think they're not, they're not letting me think like, this is huge. My whole life is hinging and I, I'm dying. I'm like, I'm dying and I don't know what to do. Will you find a place for me to go? And, um, and then he had to go. And so like, we had these tiny moments of conversations where he'd run to a payphone and then run. So I ended up finding a, a, a rental. A, a friend of mine was going to New York for um, a few months and he could. And so um, during these tiny uh, conversations, we set up a plan where he would, because um, he was able to have like run little errands here and there now. So I would, uh, but he couldn't drive. He'd have to um, borrow vehicles, but uh, I could I could pick him up and take him to this place and he would just take, just breathe, just take a couple of weeks and figure out what he wanted to do because nothing that they were doing was working. But the only thing that was happening is he was just like, it was like being in a weird prison, like just this lock. So I, I took him to, I took him to Chicago and whenever I was getting ready to leave, he broke down again. He's like, what am I doing? (laughs) Like, why? I can't be here. Like, I can't be here by myself. And I'm thinking, all right, well, I'll take you back. Like this is a nine hour drive. (laughs) I'll take you back to your house. He's like, no, not, not to my house. I don't, I'm not going back. And so I just took him back to my apartment and we got in there and he's like shutting all the shades and he's pacing and he'd hear a noise outside and he thinks they're coming for him. And I'm like, we can't, you can't do this. Like, let me take you back to Chicago. We'll stay in that apartment. We'll figure something out. That's all we needed. That's all. I didn't need this. Like I, I knew that I would be fine. I've lived through lots of things and I knew I would be fine, but he didn't. 
he didn't know what he was going to do. And he was broken down. Okay. We have to pause here because there are so many questions okay. and I guarantee people listening right now have so many questions. So I'm going to ask a couple of the ones I know they're thinking. Okay. So first of all, at this point, while he's on his lockdown and he's calling you and now he wants to get this apartment with you because he's trying to figure his life out. I mean, at this point, are you thinking, oh my gosh, this is so bad. Like we are in deep sin or are you just blinded? I mean, tell us what is going through your head because I'm thinking people are listening and thinking like, what in the actual heck are you talking about? Um, I, when it came, so I didn't know, I didn't know that I was deceived and I didn't, I wasn't thinking like we're in deep sin. I just thought we have ruined everything. And, uh, and, but for the most part, I was numb. Like everything was on pause as far as, um, I can't figure out my stuff until like, I know he's okay. So he, I, I felt like more like I needed to take more than like dealing with my own stuff. Were you talking with God at this time? No. Okay. So you prayed with your face in the carpet, but now you're back to this fog. It, I mean, it sounds like a fog, like weeks in a fog and you're not reaching out to God and you're just numb. So what about him? I know people are listening right now and probably thinking like, what kind of guy is this? He's running away. He's leaving his wife. What is his relationship with God like at this point? Yeah. Um, he admittedly, like he, he would tell you if he was, if he was talking to you that he is not proud. He did not handle that right. He wouldn't say that he would still be married to Anne, but he would say that he just didn't handle it right. But what people need to understand is that when put someone in a small, like basically in isolation for a month, they're not quite the balanced thing. It wasn't a hardness of heart as much of, as it was a, I, I can't see and I can't hear and I can't think. I just need to get to a point where I'm not around all the people that I've, I'm hurt. And he just needed to be able to like walk down a street or or think without somebody asking me like asking him what he's thinking about or, uh, being babysat and, and questioned all the time, like questioned normal questions, like valid, relevant questions. When you said that you were doing this, were you with her? When you said you were doing this, when you, when, when this didn't come up whenever it was supposed to, is it because of her? That sort of thing. He, it was just like being beat and beat and beat for a month. So I'm not, uh, vil- I'm not like making them villains because I would do the same exact thing. I think I might, I might actually not be as forgiving as Anne was, as was ready to be. Um, so I'm not villainizing them and I'm not defending him, but the truth is he was broken. He wasn't a, a logical thinking human saying, you know, this is how I should handle things. It was like, get me, get me out of here so I can think. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So how about your husband? How did he respond when he found out? Did he try and fight for you or was he just done? It was, so it it was weird because, because he was in this OCS school, they have like super strict rules where you can't have much contact with the outside world. Um, he could talk to me, I think, I don't remember what they were, but what the rules were, but I'm thinking like for 10 minutes at a time, once a week. So I didn't tell him, I didn't tell him right away. When he left, he knew that we were pretty much over because I, we had that conversation before he left. I told him that I don't think that I'm going to be moving with him when he gets out of school. And, um, and we had a couple of, um, good confessional times, like him on his end. I didn't tell him what was going on. I, uh, but he confessed to some major, huge lies in our marriage. Uh, and he did it in a way of like, see, I'm ready to be honest with you now. But what it did for me was like, oh my gosh, I married this, this entire marriage is a lie. And so it was just more confirmation that we're just not going to be together. So I didn't feel obligated um, to tell him. I didn't feel connected with him hardly at all. Um, I ended up telling him later, but my heart toward him was just, you know, apathy is the opposite of love. And I was apathetic and not in a, I mean, I know that I know how that might make me sound, but I was, I was, I was angry at that whole marriage anyway. Okay. So I understand a little bit more now. Your marriage was essentially over before all of this happened. At what point did Justin decide, I can't be with Anne anymore? And was that decision based on, I'm going to be with Serena? Or I don't know what I'm going to do, but I can't be in this marriage anymore. He knew that he wasn't going to be with Anne anymore. Um, it wasn't like, I'm going to be with Serena. It was more like, I, it, I'm i not going to be with Anne. If I can't be with Serena, that's fine. He basically gave up, gave up his, on his marriage in the hopes that, that we would be together. And I... I wasn't in a position, um, this is probably the closest that I would say that I bumped up against, um, like the Christian, like the, the, that spiritual aspect, like where, where God came in. I'm not so sure I can be with you. Like, you can't just do that. You can't just have an affair end marriages and then be together. Like you can't do that. I just, I, I couldn't, I do that, (laughs) but that's what I wanted. So I need to like, not want that, but you, it's sort of like, you know, if you're going to steal something, you don't get to keep it. Like I just, it didn't make any sense to me. And I think that anybody listening, like, yeah, you don't, you don't just have an affair and end marriages and then like get to live happily ever after. You don't get to do that. But then you found something out. What was that? I found out I was pregnant and I knew it wasn't Mark's because Mark, you know, had had a vasectomy for a few years. I knew that it was, 
it changed everything. And then it didn't change everything. (laughs) It felt like it should change everything. I actually, through the, through the months of being pregnant, um, I'm still, still, you cannot have what you want. Like you pay for that. Like I, I, me talking to myself, you have to pay for this and, and pay for this in a way where you can't ever like, uh, you can't ever say that you didn't pay for it, that you didn't suffer. That is, that is what I was telling myself. So I had to figure out what, and, and whenever I found out I was pregnant, I'm like, that is not an excuse. This is, this is me talking to myself. That is not an excuse. So, so what do you do with the baby? Do you, do you, um, like, and people were telling me, I was getting emails from people during this time. And, um, we can talk about that later, but one of the emails was like, you need to go back to your husband and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter that you're, that you're pregnant. You have to go back to your husband. And so I, uh, I entrust that God will heal that marriage, that sort of thing. And that made me feel claustrophobic. That just felt wrong. And, but I didn't trust myself at the time, like wrong because that's not what I want to do or wrong because God is saying, no, that is not the direction I have for you. I didn't know the difference at the time. Um, and anything that would be the last thing that I would want is what I was like, nope, this is what I have to do because I have to pay for this. And so, um, I'm trying to figure out what to do with a baby. Like, do I give her up for adoption? Do I, do I keep her and hope that Mark, you know, loves her? Do I, do I give her to, to Justin and let him raise her by himself? Um, do I, if, if I do that, do I nurse her? Cause I nurse my babies for six months. Do I nurse her and set her up and then, and then let him have her? Or do I, do I treat it like, you know, I'm a teenage mom and I give birth to a baby that I'm not going to keep. And so I don't even get to hold her afterward. Like, how do I do this? What am what do I do? And so a lot of my time was spent like, God, please show me the path you want me to take because I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to suffer for this. Just show me the path you want me to take because everything, I just want to be, I just want to move forward and I want to be okay. You say in your book, and there's such an ache to it. You say, I miss my Jesus. I was that lost sheep that wandered off and didn't know the way back. That is the absolute gut-wrenching truth. I didn't know how to fix it. And, and any payment, it's sort of like, okay, do you want to be hanged? Do you want to be beheaded? Do you want to be lethally injected? Like, how do you want to die? Because you have to die. And so I just had to choose which way to die. Hmm. So you eventually end up marrying Justin. And the question that I'm going to end with today And we'll pick up in part three next week. But the question is, was it worth it? I think that there's probably a part, if you're just being really honest with yourself, there's a part of you that thinks that the happiness that you could possibly have with this other person could trump everything. And I'll be honest, here I am like 13 years later, it trumps almost everything. Like I am fine not having the friendships that I used to have. And I am fine knowing that I am a flawed human being and I'm, 
I am even strong enough to carry a really heavy load of shame. But something happened spiritually that none of that could touch. The happiness that you have in your here and now life, this like physical body life, that cannot heal the spiritual pain of that kind of failure. And so for me, um, and, and this could me, you know, this could be me trying to make sense of, of what happened, but I don't think I would have known God or known this level of faith or known grace or known anything without the failure. So maybe, maybe you have to go through that. Maybe you just need a really good case of uh, going through the fire to kind of show, show you who you are. I don't know. Or who God is. <laughs> and for me specifically, like considering like my childhood a little bit, I, um, I needed, I, and maybe this is the broken part coming up into the adult part. This is like the theme of your whole podcast here. But um, those broken pieces coming back up and like showing up in your adult life in the form of like these issues that, you know, adults can have. I, uh, I needed to know that I was, I needed somebody to fight for me. So like there was something, there was something, um, very personal, I guess, about my own failure that was like personal to me and the type of lesson that I needed to learn. Like I needed to learn that I couldn't, that I couldn't make myself righteous enough with my, uh, with my behavior. And I needed I think I just needed to know what unconditional, unconditional love was. So the fact that, that God showed up the way he did, the way, like whenever I'm looking into scripture and I'm trying to find, um, I'm trying to find like that death blow, that little pocket of darkness that Jesus can't touch, uh, because that's what was being told to me, um, that, uh, that I, I couldn't be redeemed after this, I looked into the, into scripture to try to find evidence of that, to try to find like what, where that was. And I never, ever, ever found it. I found nothing but love. I needed something and God showed up in that. Like I've said this before, I think God speaks to you in your language. So based on like what you know about him and, and the way you understand life and approach life and the perspective you have, I think God speaks to you in, in your personal language. And he spoke to me in, in my language and my language was showing me that I'm not invisible and I'm not, I'm not, I do have value. I am worth fighting for. And I've never, I mean, nobody, nobody had ever fought for me, which maybe nobody fights for people. You know what I mean? Like maybe that's, maybe nobody has that, but, but it's easy for me to, to blame my childhood. It's easy for me to be like, my mom didn't fight through anything for me. Like foster parents who wanted to adopt me, didn't fight to adopt me. Like whenever I left home from my adopted family, nobody fought for me. Like I was just, I, I was just shown over and over. I'm easy to let go of. It's going back to the, to the same message that, that saved me in the first place. 
like he believes in me. He saw something in me that nobody else saw. And then here I am at like where I'm completely worthless. Like I have confirmed across the board, ask anybody on this planet if I've confirmed that I, that I am, I am damaging. I am, I have, I am a poison. <laughs> uh, and you would get an overwhelming show of hands, a Serena poison, overwhelming show of hands. Cause that's, that is what, that is what I did. And then God being like, but she's mine and I'll stand up for her. There was a point when going to church, I would just pray. I'm like, God, they're all going to look at me. Like at this point I was like super pregnant with Stella and everybody knew why. And everybody knew everything. Like it was just a very public failure. And so I'm going into church and I just, I was praying. I'm like, they're all going to stare at me. They're all going to know, like, look at me like that, you know? And his, his response to me was, well, they'll be looking at me too. Cause I'm going to be right there. And on that beautiful note, we are going to end for today. And next week, you can hear part three of Serena's interview, and we're going to talk about how the church responds to sin. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Loved this episode? Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not. So please, if you like the show, take a minute and give it a review. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out sarahmay.com forward slash the complicated heart podcast. See you next time.